This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversation on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Longwoods International, one of the premier research firms in the travel and tourism space in the world. Longwoods produces groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and service to DMOs in areas such as visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and their brand new resident sentiment study. Learn more about this new breakthrough product and more at longwoods-intl.com. And now it's on to our show. Our guest today is Cleo Battle, the Chief Operating Officer of Louisville Tourism. Cleo has worked in the hospitality industry for an amazing 34 years. Prior to coming to Louisville, he spent 12 years as the Vice President of Sales and Service of the Richmond Convention and Visitors Bureau in Richmond, Virginia, where I was yesterday. And Cleo, they all say hi. Hello. (laughs) Love them all. You bet. So do we. Cleo began his hospitality career in the hotel industry, working for Embassy Suites, Holiday Inn, and Sheraton Hotels. He's a graduate of Metropolitan State University in Denver with a bachelor's degree in hotel restaurant management. He earned his Master's of Business Administration in 1997 from Everett University in Virginia. He is both a CDME and a CASE. He currently serves on the Meeting Planners International Board of Directors, the Kentucky Derby Museum Board of Directors, Louisville Sports Commission Executive Board, Louisville Zoo Foundation Board, and he's a board member for the Northeast YMCA of Louisville. He is a past chair of the Destination and Travel Foundation, Destination International's Sales and Services Committee, and Virginia State University Hospitality Department Advisory Board. A lot of stuff. Cleo Battle, welcome to DMOU. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. That, that did sound like a lot of stuff. So it's interesting to hear someone read all that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, well, feel old. No, don't feel old. Feel accomplished, right? <laughs> they first, like hey, first off, I, I want to say congratulations on your recent promotion to the position of COO for Louisville Tourism. Tell me, how does that change your role in the organization, going from from sales and services to COO? Do you still get to do what you love in sales, or is this a whole different thing for you? You know, yes, I do. I I think it's more at a, a higher strategic level. The strategic partnerships that we have with many of the uh, associations out there, that's still my responsibility to get those things done. Uh, So a lot of the partnerships and sponsorships I'll still be very much involved in. So, yeah, I I still get involved. We all, all the executive team stays very involved with all of our top level clients. So, yeah, I get a chance to do some sales, but you know, I've been doing, as you read in my, my bio there, you know, I've been doing sales a long time. So it's nice to be able to start to build some relationships with elected officials. We're working on a strategic plan to have an international focus uh, in the next year. So it's something that I'm working through. We're in the middle right now doing a visitor profile study, as well as a destination strategic master plan. Uh, so those things I'm also uh, leading the charge on. So yeah, while I, I don't do as much sales, um, I do get a chance to do some of the other neat things that represent our industry as well. Well, that's great. Congratulations. So on to our topic for the day. For those of us that have convention centers, we always want to upgrade them. When Louisville went to renovate yours, the initial thought was they would do it in stages so that you'd always have some space available for some of your clients. Ultimately, that's not what happened. 
the entire center had to shut down for the renovation, all 300,000 square feet for two years. So here's your first question. When I called to ask if you'd share your experience on DMOU, you said something that I found inspirational. You said the experience of, of having your primary asset off the table for two years actually forced you to become a more complete DMO. Explain that concept for us. Yeah, it, it, it was interesting, and, and we're still living a, a lot of the benefits of that. So here in Louisville, two convention facilities, one downtown that we closed, plus an, an expo center that's about seven miles outside of downtown by the airport. So that really, for this organization, that was the focus. Sales, meeting and convention sales, try to bring that business to town in terms of our actual strategies. Now, it's not to say that our tourism department wasn't working on motor coaches, our marketing department was working on messaging, but the difference, Bill, was we did not have what I consider strong strategies. But having been on the sales side as long as I have, you sit down every year and you've got a blueprint strategies for what you're going to do this year to go after clients and to uncover business and we just didn't have those well thought out in those areas. So when we closed the building, and here's the word we used the entire time was mitigate. How are we going to mitigate the loss of business from the building? In our minds at the time, it wasn't that we weren't going to lose business. Obviously, you're closing your convention, so it's not going to be as much business to have. But how can we mitigate that loss? And we turned to every department and we said, what can you do? to mitigate the loss of business in the building. So we went to each of the VPs and, and everyone came back with strategies. Uh, so I'll give you an example. And you will probably say to yourself, well, I can't believe you weren't doing that, but we weren't. So the marketing department said, let's do some feeder city marketing campaigns. Let's pick out some of our stronger feeder cities and place digital and print advertising to drive leisure business in, from those markets. We center more of our messaging locally, regionally, nationally from a leisure perspective, um, which as a takeaway, that's how our message has stayed. Even in our meeting and convention space, it has now become a leisure message because we want you to be excited about coming here for your meeting and convention as an individual first, the meeting planner, because we feel like you can then sell that to your overall attendees. So we've maintained that messaging. In our tourism department, we developed uh, feeder market programs for affinity groups. We had developed email lists from a lot of the local boat shows and red hat societies, all those different. We had developed a large email list and we put promotions around all those email lists. We did some new partnerships in our tourism department to drive business. One of those was hosting ABA. We just hosted ABA, by the way, for the second time to continue to try to drive that business here. Uh, so with that and a lot of the promotions, actual promotions in our tourism space uh, that we've got our hotels and attractions built up around. You know, we even went to the finance department, our VP of finance said, hey, you've got to contribute to this as well. And one of the neat things that he took us through and that we've really benefited from is having our commissioners and our um, finance committee to think more nimble about our budget. 
you know, far too often the budget gets approved in March, it goes into action in July, and that's what you're stuck with for a year. And we said, look, we've got to be more nimble. We have reserve funds. We've got to be more nimble. Sure, be critical of the things we want to do, but we've got to be able to make nimble decisions during the year and have you support those things with funding. And so all these departments came to the table. And again, as an organization today, all those things are still in place. We're still doing all those things. We're a very different organization than we were before we closed the building. And as I can kind of feel in your description, a better organization for having gone through this crisis, having been able to to look at your budget in different ways to begin to lead with a leisure message to your business clients, because at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, they are leisure customers first, and then That's they right. become your That's clients. Right. So would you say that this was kind of a the result of our, and I, I say this when I say our, as an industry, we have been, those of us that have had meeting space of size, we have been pretty singularly focused on the group side of the business. I mean, it, it has been that because, well, part of it is because we can prove it. It's harder to prove leisure. But now we're beginning to realize that you know this leisure thing actually plays in so many different other markets. Absolutely. In Louisville Tourism, we were exactly what you just described. And it did. This process helped us to understand and to have really well thought out strategies in all of our departments. It's not that those departments weren't performing and doing what they were asked, but it was Gladys Knight as the meeting and convention group. And then you had, the, you know, the pips were just all the other departments. And, you know, <laughs> we, we had to move away from that. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, our stakeholders, you know, when this happened, they said, what are you all going to do? And it was once we went through this process, it was nice to sit down in front of our stakeholders. And I think we caught them off guard because they heard a message from us that they hadn't heard before. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, the best part about it all, Bill, it worked. We mitigated. Yeah. We have driven more leisure business the last three years into this market than we ever have. All those things actually work. And so there's a benefit to becoming more of a, a complete DMO versus meeting in convention heavy. And don't get me wrong. It's still the largest department we have here. At the top of everyone's goals, it's the number one thing on everyone's, on every single employee's goals here that gets an incentive. The top line is, do we meet our meeting and convention now? Yeah. So it's still very important, but we definitely have some more thought out goals in some other areas, strategies in other areas. Okay. So next question, you bulk up and you really become a robust marketing organization. Take us back into the sales side. So you still have meeting space in your hotels and, and other ancillary um, assets spread throughout the region. How did you respond on the sales side? Clearly, you bulked up in marketing, but what did, what did your department do? So we asked the sales department, too, what can you do in this space? And in sales, we hired an additional small meeting salesperson because now we wanted to drive more uh, small meeting business into the hotels. So individual hotel salesperson. Uh, we developed strong partnerships with Helms Briscoe, Commerce Direct, Experian, as well as Cvent. 
And I think we had relationships. I don't know that we had partnerships, strong partnerships before that. Mm -hmm. We may have had some smaller things we were doing, but they became very robust, the partnerships that we had with them to drive more business. Uh, And on the sales side as well, we did some promotion, some book in this window of time and receive you know, $2, $3 per room night that we worked with our hotels to, to work through. So we had some strategies on the sales side as well during the closure that has benefited. And again, we still have the additional small meeting salesperson. We still have all those partnerships with the, those four organizations still in place. And we just, just now did another promotion with our hoteliers for, I think, 21, because our tail end of that year is a little soft and hotels wanted to see us do something. So we've put these kinds of strategies in place and got the mindset out there. So our partners, our stakeholders here in the market are supporting that now. So we didn't put anything back in the box, surprisingly. <laughs> you yeah. know, we also did the services. I didn't talk about service department, but service department finally instituted the CTA program. Okay. Part of our strategy with the CTA program out of our service department is we said, when the building opens up, we want to be a new city, a new city in terms of the level of service we offer. So we wanted to have at least 500 CTAs when the building reopened throughout the city. I think we felt just short. Uh, we're well over 500 now. But again, all of these things were put in place when the building closed, we had all these strategies in each of these departments and as to when that building opens up, how are we going to be better? How are we going to drive more business in, from each of our areas? So it was a significant period of time and a lot of change uh, from our organization during that time. But as you said, you've kept the small uh, meeting specialist. You've kept the relationships with third parties. So yep. it isn't as if your hotels and your smaller meeting venues uh, you know, got this, this windfall of new business and new attention over the past couple of years, and then see it kind of fade away, that business is solid and continuing to grow as well. That's right. That's exactly right. Okay, cool. So here's the interesting thing. In our pre-conference call, um, you told me a couple stories about some of the stakeholders who may not have necessarily understood the impact that uh, Louisville Tourism had uh, on their bottom line and on their business. So. Sure. During this period of time, how did your industry respond to the center being closed for two years? Because I can imagine that the sophisticated restaurateurs, the sophisticated retailers are wetting their collective pants at the notion that the convention center goes away. But there's a whole bunch of, as we know, sadly, there's a whole bunch of our industry partners who they might not even think it's gravy. So tell us how the industry reacted, how they stepped up to join you, and some of the uh, lessons learned, shall we say, uh, from having a convention center uh, go dark for a couple of years and uh, the organization stepping into a new role. The one thing that we did that was that was smart was that we got our low-hanging fruit stakeholders, the attractions and the hoteliers, we got them on board and communicated to them early on before this really hit the media. And I don't know that we thought at the time we were gonna get some of the blowback that we got, but that served us well because ultimately when it did come out, you know, restaurants who don't ever answer our call when we need them to stay open late for a, a convention or to have some weekend hours, 
all of a sudden, oh my God, you're going to kill my business. We're going to close because you closed the convention center. And took it as far as playing this out in the media. We played that out in the media with them. And we talked about our strategies and what we're going to do. It wasn't so much retail as much as it was restaurants. But you had a couple really loud voices that today they're all operating. We don't hear from them anymore. But yeah. And I just think people just start to, they start to get nervous. You know, if your restaurant was located across the street from the convention center, well, of course you're concerned. I would be concerned as, as well. But, you know, there was just a lot of finger pointing and being told we're making a mistake from folks who operate a restaurant. And no offense to them, sure, but this sure. is not their side of the industry. And quite honestly, just not to get too far into the weeds, because we didn't expand the footprint of the building, the expansion was all up and down. It wasn't, yeah. it, we didn't tear up another block. So the way the, the kitchen and the HVAC and all that was aligned in the building, we couldn't keep it open. We thought we could initially, but we just couldn't do it. But we got through it. We got through it. And I think folks in this town right now would say, you know, between the convention center, between the visitors in town, right? folks are doing really well. The restaurants are doing well. Our attractions are doing I just came from a, a board meeting of an attraction and they're talking about year over year, double digit growth in visitation at that attraction. So yeah, I think we're okay at the moment. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure that was, those were some very, very scary moments for some of your industry partners. And you, yeah. and at the same time, I think um, during our pre-conference call, you shared with me that one restaurateur continued to say how, you know, the center doesn't bring him any business. That's, you know, the bureau doesn't really bring him any business. And of course, you know, a, a few months in, he went, oh, <laughs> I guess I was wrong. <laughs> You've had a couple of those restaurants really come and get a little closer and understand more about the kind of business. They want to know when there's a meeting and convention. And that's all you want from your partners is to be a partner with them. Don't assume that, yeah. Bill, you've been in business a long time. You know, because they don't have a name badge on, well, they're, I'm not getting any convention business. And that's just, you have to be able to be, you know, smarter than that, understand when there's business over at the center. Most people take their name badges off when they're walking around town anyway. So, you know, it's it's just been a good learning lesson of course. For, for us. We grew as an organization and I think for our community as well to understand this business and what it takes and, and then to come out on the other side and really see some success and folks love the new building knock on wood we're all we're all in a good place now yeah well it's a great story and i think it's also an inspirational story to say you know if this is going to happen to you there is a light and there is a path and you just have to change your stripes and you had the ability to do that um, obviously um, having a little money in, the, in reserve helps because you can be more as you said nimble it's a great story. And I think a case study for all of us as we uh, go forward, because more and more of our convention facilities are becoming a little bit longer in the tooth. And we're all going to have to go through this at some point in time where we're going to lose a major asset. And then we have to figure out what's next. I've certainly have had a couple calls and have shared the, the, the strategic plan that we developed during that time from all of our departments with some other folks and happy to share with anyone who who's going through it. Uh, I think we put together a really good plan and 
So yeah, I'm happy to share. Cool. All right. All right. Time for the bonus round question. This is where we go off topic and have a little fun letting listeners see and hear another side of you. And over the past couple of months, a lot of our guests have opted to talk about how they found their way to destination marketing, since there aren't a lot of universities offering such coursework or majors. Uh, Some have said they come from hotels. A few said politics. Actually, Julie Pinkston from Lansing actually said that she intended to work at the State Department before she discovered tourism. That's different. So your path, however, started in track and field. Do tell. Yeah. Yeah, so I was uh, <laughs> I was a scholarship athlete running track, and I got hurt. And it hurt pretty significantly, tore the muscle. And back then in the 80s, they assessed you for a good six months, and if they determined that they didn't think you were going to be able to perform, they took your scholarship. So, you know, I had to begin to think, you know, as crazy as it sounds, I, my only focus was I'm going to run in the Olympics someday. Uh, and then once that gets shot down, you're like, all right, well, what am I going to do now? I've been undecided for two or three years. And um, so I went and talked to a counselor. And a counselor talked to me about this new major called hotel restaurant management. And I remember thinking to myself, well, the only thing I'd ever done in a hotel is trash them. So I'm not sure <laughs> how that's going to work. But yeah, she talked to me about it. I ended up taking a, some classes and, and I just kept taking the classes, Bill, which was kind of funny. I would take the classes that I was supposed to take and I was learning, but I hadn't worked or anything. And somewhere along the way, someone said, well, you know, before you graduate, you got to have 1300 hours in the hotel as an intern to graduate. And I was like, oh my gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. And so I ended up working at the front desk of a hotel like many of us did. Actually, I started as a bellman. Uh, and then they finally talked me into a front desk because I was making a lot of money as a bellman. But that was my entree and I loved it. And I actually, in the process of trying to get me to the 1300 hours, hotel let me work a couple hours before my front desk shift in the sales department. And, you know, I was doing the typical, just filing and moving stuff, but got a chance to just be in there and understand what they were doing at, at the age that I was that carried me on into what I eventually did for a lot of years in Richmond and here. But it was great. You know, the the last thing I'll tell you about that story was, so I'm working for Embassy Suites and I'm trying to get into the Embassy Suites management training program can't get the embassy suites folks to call me back, nothing. My GM couldn't get anyone to call back. Well, one day I get a call from my GM. He says, guess what? The guy who runs the program is coming out here to go skiing. He's going to stay at our hotel. He said, you got to get here. You got to check him in tonight and talk to him. So sure enough, I'm there. The guy, I check, check him in. I'm like, sir, come from outside the front desk and tell him the whole story. And he says, well, listen. I can't say that I, I remember everything, but maybe I've seen your name. I'm leaving the hotel at six o'clock in the morning. If you want to come have an interview with me at 530, I'm happy to talk to you. You know, I was there at 515, though. You bet. And end up getting the job, going into management training, and they sent me to Phoenix. And I've been rolling in this industry ever since. So that's my story. That's how I got to where I am today. 
And a great story it is. Cleo, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule for this podcast. Yours is a story that while we wish it on no one, actually caused you to come out stronger on the other side. And that's what we love. That what does not kill us um, makes us better. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers that this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Longwoods International, the producers of groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and services to DMOs in areas such as visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and their new resident sentiment study. Learn more about this new breakthrough product and more at longwoods-intl.com. DMOPros.com is where you'll find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet. That is DMOPros with a Z.com. The executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.